0: But Ventil also holds to an additional point. Now, for pedagogical purposes, let, let me explain the order here. Um, the immutable personhood of the Son logically grounds the no commingling of the eternal and immutable Creator and the temporal and mutable creature in the union. But for pedagogical purposes, just to help you, I'm going to move now to this third proposition and talk about it in light of Ventil's corpus and then work our way back to the ground for it in the immutability of the person of the Son. So, pardon the, uh, I guess this was my logically ideal presentation. Pedagogically, I'm going to talk about three and then work back to two. Van affirmed, secondly, that there is no commingling of the eternal and immutable nature of the Creator and the temporal and mutable nature of the creature in the union of the two natures in the one person of the Son of God. When the Son of God assumed to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary without sin, the immutable person assumed a mutable nature in a permanent and personalizing union. And let me explain what that means first about the no commingling of the eternal and temporal. Van Til says this, Jesus became man, quote, it does not mean that the divine and human natures were intermingled. Christ was and remained, even when he was in the manger in Bethlehem, a divine person. But this divine person took to himself, in close union with his divine nature, a human nature. Accordingly, listen now, this is key, even in the incarnation, Christ could not commingle the eternal and the temporal. The eternal must always remain independent of and prior to the temporal, end of quote. Let me put it this way. Christ could not commingle the eternal and temporal. The eternal must always remain independent of and prior to the temporal, even in the union bond itself. You see, there's no commingling of the eternal and immutable creator and the temporal and mutable creature in the hypostatic union. Why? The, and, and think back. Think back to our first lecture, and I believe it was the, uh, follow, uh, the first module introducing Van Til and then the material that we have on the Trinity. Here is a summary. The eternal must always... Remain independent of and prior to the temporal, even in relation. Even in the creator-creature relation, even in the hypostatic union. And so let me give you this as a guideline to understand here. Um, When you're talking about the creator-creature relation, big C, little c, the incarnation, please hear this, affirms and does not modify that distinction and that relation. The incarnation does not introduce a tertium quid. A third thing, it's an immutable person, an eternal and immutable creator who takes to himself a temporal, mutable creature, human nature, and in that union, nothing is commingled. True union, no confusion of natures. Whatever else Van Til will say about the incarnation, and whatever else we might develop theologically with regard to the theology of the incarnation, it always and without fail expresses the baseline logic of the creator-creature relation we've surveyed in previous modules. And you can see more in chapter 2 of my book, The Trinitarian Theology of Cornelius Van Til, to amplify that. Now, Turretin is very helpful here. He enables us to locate precisely the mystery of the relation of the doctrine of the Trinity, with which we're familiar, to the mystery of the logic of the Incarnation. And this is going to be here helping us recognize right here, there's no commingling, no commingling of human of uh, divine and human natures. Listen to what he says. And and this is from page, uh, this Turretin quote. This is volume 2, 310, and we'll be working all the way to 312. 310 and 11 just for this quote. Listen to what he says. Quote, in the Christian religion, there are two questions, above all others, which are difficult. The first concerns the unity of the three persons in the one essence in the Trinity. The other concerns the union of the two natures in the one person of the Incarnation. Now, although they mutually differ, because in the first, the discussion discussion concerns the unity of the essence and the trinity of persons while the other concerns the unity of the person and the diversity of natures still the one greatly assists in the understanding of the other how so listen Turton continues for as in the trinity the unity of the essence does not hinder the persons from being distinct from one another and their properties and operations from being incommunicable. So the union of natures in the person of Christ does not prevent both the natures and their properties from remaining unconfounded and distinct. That's, um, I should be a little more precise, that's page 310 and 311 from Turretin uh, in his Institutes, Volume 2. Now, A brief preface here, a mystery in biblical teaching is something that cannot be stated with perfect precision due to the fact that the finite image-bearer cannot comprehend the infinite triune God. And the Trinity and the Incarnation offer us mysteries of the highest order. Each doctrine brings to bear the incomprehensible and ultimately inscrutable relation between A, the essence and the persons of the Godhead, and B, the two natures in the one person of the mediator. We must realize then that our chief concern in each, as we state the full truth of scripture, rests in locating the mystery. Turretin helps us Locate the mystery. How do we do so? Well, Turretin notes precisely where the related mysteries lie or in what the mysteries consist. Let me put it in a little bit different language from Turretin. The mystery of the Trinity lies in the unity of the three persons who are the one undivided essence of God. Each Trinitarian person possesses incommunicable personal properties yet subsists entirely as the undivided essence of God. So let me put it this way. The unity of the nature does not destroy or undermine the incommunicable personal properties. You have three distinct persons Denoted by three incommunicable personal properties, yet those three subsist distinctly as one undivided God. That's how you state the mystery. The affirmation of distinct persons does not destroy the unity of the essence, nor does the unity of the essence blur the distinction of the persons. The mystery of the incarnation lies in the union of the two natures divine and human, in the one divine person of the mediator. The two natures cannot be confused or confounded in the union between the divine person of the Son and the assumed humanity. Two distinct natures are united in the one undivided and eternal person of the Son of God, without those two natures being commingled. Two natures in the union of the one person, no commingling of the two. Now these mysteries are different, and the difference must be appreciated, but they're also mutually illuminating. Just as the divine nature and the divine person is not confounded in the Godhead, So the divine nature and the human nature are not confounded in the union, the hypostatic union. Now Turton puts it this way that I think is very helpful. He says, as in the Trinity, the unity of essence does not hinder the persons from being distinct from each other. And their properties and operations from being incommunicable, so the union of natures and the person of Christ does not prevent both natures and their properties from remaining unconfounded and distinct. Now that's a very helpful way of putting it. Just as the Trinitarian persons remain distinct in their properties and operations within the one essence of God, so the divine and human natures remain distinct and unconfounded in the unity of the person of the mediator. So, how then do we relate our theology of the ontological trinity and our theology of the creator-creature relation to the Incarnation? How do we take the logic of the creator-creature relation and apply that logic to illumine the hypostatic union? Again, Turton makes this point. He says, although the mode of the hypostatical union is positively unspeakable, still it is not badly designated negatively when it is denied to have been made either by a a division of the person or b by a mixture of natures so i'm going to put that on the board when we're talking about this doctrine of no commingling there is a no division of person the person of the son is not divided there's no Change by way of division, or B, no mixture of natures. Right there is the substance of Orthodox Christology. The person is not divided, not modified, mutability of the person. The natures are not mixed in the union. He goes on. These, then, are the two principal rocks to be avoided. Nestorianism on the one side, which divides the person, and on the other, Eutychianism, which confounds the natures. So where do you find a division of the person? Nestorianism... Where do you find a mixture of the natures? Eutychianism. Against Nestorius, we do not divide the person. Against the Eutychians, we do not mix the natures. Now you need to appreciate this as you reflect on this mystery. Please hear this and appreciate it. Turretin makes explicit... That the precise character of the hypostatic union, if you drill down and distill the very essence of what makes that union obtain, it is positively unspeakable. You will not find an exhaustive, rational, univocal delineation of that relation devoid of mystery. It won't be found. Don't try to find it. We cannot state it positively and with perfect precision because we can never comprehend the relation of the immutable creator to the mutable creature. But Turton also contends that we are safest, and this is equally important, when we state it negatively to avoid the two main problems that beset all forms of Christological heresy, a division or change of the person or a mixture of the natures. It's wrong to construe the hypostatic union in a way that divides, partitions, or changes the person. And it is wrong to construe the hypostatic union in a way that confuses or merges the natures. Neither dividing the person nor confounding the natures can be allowed. Both must be avoided at every point. And so when Van Til talks about this relationship between the divine person and the assumed humanity, he says that that event, number one, is a redemptive necessity. It is in no way needed in order to initiate or perfect the creator-creature relation prior to the fall. But secondly, in the union of that assumed humanity to the divine person, there is no commingling of the eternal and immutable creator and the temporal mutable creature in that union. And the two things that must be avoided in this unspeakable and ultimately mysterious union is that the person is not divided, not modified, the natures are not mixed in the hypostatic union itself. Now, once we appreciate this third point, we're in place now to get to the rock bottom of what provides the theological guardrails against error on all sides and it will be the immutable personhood of the eternal son of god who takes to himself a true body and a reasonable soul in the event of the hypostatic union in such a way that his person is not divided, the natures are truly united, but neither the creator nor the creature are fused, confounded, or joined in a way that results in a third thing emerging from that union. And so we need to fix our minds now on developing this uh, central point about immutable personhood and its implications for the hypostatic union.